I've come to believe that it may be the most important book in the Bible. Romans declares our freedom. Galatians fights for it. Welcome to the Grace Life Fellowship Podcast. Today we have another edition of our segment called Conversations in Grace. If you've been following our message episodes, you know that Pastor Frank just finished his series, Live Free, A Study of Galatians. Well, in today's conversation, Jesse will be talking to Pastor Frank about Galatians, asking some questions, recapping the whole series. It's a really great conversation. I really think you're gonna enjoy it. If you'd like to hear that whole series, I suggest you go back to episode two and listen to each of the ones titled Message. Okay, here's Jesse and Frank. Welcome, everybody. This is Jesse, and I'm here joined tonight with our teaching pastor here at Grace Life Fellowship, Frank Friedman. How you doing, Frank? I'm doing pretty good, Jesse. Good. I'm glad. We How could, are you? I'm great. Good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm glad we could finally get you in here. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. So we're we're wrapping up. Our last week we wrapped up a series in Galatians, which was amazing. Um, the stuff that you're bringing. I mean, these head. The, just the names, the titles of each week were like headlines, you know, like protecting the gospel of freedom and f- freedom fighter and justified freely. The law leads us to freedom. I can just see these on newspaper headlines, just big and bold and loud. And then when you hear the meat that's actually in the scripture, it's so good. It's so good. Um but if we start, in, uh, and, and we're going to kind of run through this because we want to try to get the six chapters in and not take too long on them because we just did eight weeks, right? So what I did in eight weeks, we're going to do in about 20 minutes. We're going to run through All it. Right. right. So we're you got to listen. <laughs> you got to go back and listen. <laughs> it's going to be a miracle. Um, so when we, when we start Galatians, we see that Paul is addressing an attack from within the church in Galatia, and he's, he's dealing with... Um, the believers who were there, the people that he had left there, who he figured, I think he figured he had them straightened out, right? (laughs) But from somewhere they got this message of adding law back into this new covenant that they've been given, the freedom in the Spirit. And he's going, he's writing them to straighten this out, right? I mean, you would agree with that, right? Absolutely. I think that this is probably has always been and always will be the great issue in the church yeah. is the law-grace issue. Right. Um, you know, if you just think like the Judaizers were most likely using the argument, you know, look, in the giving of the law, there was lightning and mm-hmm. there was thunder and there's this right. great voice of God and Moses' face shined like the sun. Look how glorious it was. Mm-hmm. It was actually ominous. I mean, God himself said, don't go up on that mountain or you're going to die. You don't want any part of this. But because God gave the law, people have a hard time leaving it behind. And I think it's really because they don't understand the purpose of the law. You know, Mm -hmm. the purpose of the law was to kill and condemn, to drive us back to the tree of life, Jesus, the choice we should have made all along. You know, man chose the law. And, uh, and, and it was a bad choice, <laughs> right? And and they're they're choosing to step away from this or to add law back in because it's it, it's enticing for us even today because we see it as a way to take control and to perfect ourselves before God. 
Exactly. That's one of the things that I think people miss is they don't realize that the Judaizers were actually naming the name of Jesus. Um, you know, they went to the Jerusalem Council talking about the gospel, saying it's a great thing, but we still need the law. Right. Yeah. And that was the problem. Um, are they going to supplement Jesus? Because if we do, we supplant Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, we lose the way of grace by adding even one law to grace. And I think that was really powerful in the introduction in the first chapter yeah. when Paul said, you're perverting the gospel. It was a very key word that actually meant reversing. Yeah. If you add one law, you have just turned 180 degrees away from Jesus. Right. And you've, if you add one law, you failed it all. That's right. So you're you're held responsible for all of it. That's right. Which is what six hundred and thirteen plus more than I want. <laughs> more than yeah, I struggle when, with just the ten. <laughs> right, right. And and the law that he's going to address is the Mosaic law. Exactly. The it's all six hundred and thirteen. The Torah, everything that was written in the Torah. Um, it's not just you know some people say it, it's it's. Um, certain types of laws. Mm -hmm. It's not these laws. It's not the big 10, right? Mm -hmm. But we know that it. this is encompassing all of the laws exactly. that the Jewish people would have followed at that time. And and Paul Paul does this. He, I, I wonder why in, in the first chapter, he talks about his, his journey. Mm -hmm. He talks about the road to Damascus and what he experienced. But he also makes a point to say that he's not, he wasn't influenced by the apostles. And I'm curious why he does this. Is, uh, he he goes in and he says it's not man it's not man's gospel. <laughs> this is something that I've been given through revelation. Over well, first it was three years, then it was fourteen <laughs> years, <laughs> and he walks through this. But what do you think is the purpose of him saying that he wasn't influenced by the apostles? I'm just curious what you think. Yeah, that's a really good question, Jesse. Um, you know, I think in Philippians, he gives us a little bit of insight into it. I, the other 11 were kind of the field hands, you know, fishermen, uh, regular guys, with the exception of Luke, you know, who wrote the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke, the doctor. Um, but Paul was the professional religion man, a uh, member of the Sanhedrin, Pharisee, the guy, probably the guy in Israel picked to replace Gamaliel. Mm -hmm. He was the pro. And so I think that may lend some special weight to it, um, bringing this issue of the gospel of grace, not just from people who, quote unquote, needed it. Right. You know, those lower class fishermen. <laughs> but the elite of the elite needed it as well. Yeah. And I, I think that may be a, a potential answer to that. Yeah, I I just was curious. I was reading it and I was thinking, I I wonder why he tried to separate because it seems like it would be even harder for them to believe that he was carrying some sort of new revelation mm -hmm. if he hadn't bounced it off of Peter or John mm -hmm. or James, Jesus' brother. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems like he would have made it harder for them to believe. But anyway, well, I just thought well, you know you that. go back as well. Um, it's fascinating. I think it's interesting the three years. How long were the disciples with Jesus? Three, Three years. years. So I think Paul was saying there, you know, I had my own special time yeah. with with Jesus. I've had that three-year presence Which with is him important, as well. why it makes him an apostle. Exactly. And the other thing that I think we need to keep in mind is that grace did not begin with the New Testament. Uh, 
Right. Uh, grace was in the Garden of Eden. Right. Grace has always been man, uh, God's prescribed method for man. And that's one of the things we always have to remember. It's a restoration back to the original design, yeah. not something new. Right. And then Peter, you know, in Acts 15, agreed and said, this is the same message I preach, guys. I preach grace too. Yeah. yeah. And, and Paul does the same thing. Right. He does the same thing when he goes before the elders, or I guess it's the elders mm-hmm. in Jerusalem exactly. or the Sanhedrin. Mm-hmm. Uh, might be the same thing, but right. he goes before them and he says, hey, I, just as Peter went to the circumcised, mm-hmm. I'm coming to the uncircumcised. Exactly. Same yeah. message. Right. Peter just didn't practice it very well. <laughs> well, he's, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't flawless for sure. Uh, but there, is, there was a great quote that you made in that first uh, sermon that you did on, I, th- I guess you were in Galatians 1 at the time, but you said... You can't have both law and grace. Grace plus law doesn't drive you towards Christ, and law plus grace will ruin grace's freeing power as you fix your eyes on anything other than Jesus. Both are ruined, and there can be no balance. And I think this is this wraps up. I mean, that I think that that quote sums up what Paul is trying to do throughout this whole book. Mm-hmm. You know, he's trying to he's trying to get this into their heads that there is no balance between law and grace. Exactly. They have to be kept separate entities because they have different purposes. The law, 2 Corinthians 3, is designed to kill and condemn. If you add grace to that, the law is going to lose its holy terror and stop driving men to Jesus. By the same token, if you add law to grace, grace will lose its freeing power because now it's back on you once again to have to perform in order to maintain some sanctification in your life. And so they, you destroy them both. Yeah, and that's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so chapter 2, we see Paul, uh, he leaves with Titus and goes into Jerusalem, and he sits with the elders, and he tries to convince them uh, that what they're doing is going backwards. They're, they're, they're taking the message that he left of grace and forgiveness through faith, and they're going backwards, and they're teaching people. And he talks about, uh, I forget how he says it, but he says that there's a, almost like there's a, someone sneaking in to, that they, they, they had it. They had the ball rolling. You know, they, they, were, they were taking this thing, and they were saying, all right, we're, we're saved, we're justified by faith, apart from works. But then the, the enemy came in and turned them around, right? And <clears throat> he mentions that he's, the, he's entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter. We already said that. Peter is uh, uh, there for the circumcised. He's there for the the Jewish people. Uh, But then he goes in and he opposes Peter to his face. And uh, you were talking about how Peter's sitting at a table and he's he's enjoying all of his new freedoms. But then he's he's doing what he's doing is he's he's trying to enjoy these new freedoms, but he's also kind of going along with what these um, what these guys are saying that that he needs to add this law back in, right? Yeah. You know, I like to put it in South Louisiana, and, you know, he was eating crab and crawfish and shrimp and having a great old time. And as soon as those religion people showed up, uh uh-oh, those are unclean foods. (laughs) And it's it's an amazing thing, but he began to worry about his reputation in the eyes of other people. And that's one of the great things about grace, I think, is that it'll free you from having to perform for people. It'll also free you from yourself, where you don't have to take yourself so seriously. You don't have to do it right all the time. 
and and it's okay. But Peter was really concerned about that, I think, public image. And that's what led him to slip away very cautiously, very quietly, trying to go unnoticed. Uh, but he got caught by Paul, <laughs> which, right. uh, you know, Paul wasn't going to let him get away with it. Yeah. And he said, sir, you're, you're slipping here. And uh, like he says, I opposed Peter to the face. Yeah. He needed to win Peter back to grace in right. a very real way. Yeah, which I'm sure was tough. Or it seems like it was tough considering he's in front of these people who are very influential. Hmm. And he's kind of trying to save face. Yeah. So he's got to let go of that and return back to the truth. That's right. Kind of like the church today. Just a little bit. Yes, sir. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so he, he, he kind of has this, this private battle with Peter, but then he also moves on to his own public battle for freedom in front of everyone. And he, he moves on and he, he goes on to teach about how we are justified, and it's not by circumcision, but that it's by faith. And we get to that, that big verse, where is it, in Galatians uh, 2.17, and I wanted to read it because it's just so good. <laughs> um, so he says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. And one of the things that mm. I heard you teach, and it, it might have been in your sermon, but it might have also been in the journey class, but you were saying that if he says that I died to the law so that I might live to God, but if he says, if, if, we, if we reverse that, then what he's really saying is that if I live to the law, then I'm dead to God. And that's huge. It is huge. When I teach that verse, it's fact is one of the opening verses I use when I teach law and grace. Mm -hmm. I want to start right from the beginning with, look at this. I think it's one of the most neglected verses in the church today. You know, even people who lay hold of Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. Yeah. They miss verse 19. Through the law, I died to the law. The law had a purpose, and it was to drive me away from the law. Right. So that I could live to God. And you've hit it right on the head, which means if you're living in the law, you're not living unto God. Mm -hmm. And so it's a huge verse that so many people have never heard, yeah. let alone applied. <laughs> yeah, and then right after that, like you said, he, he, he goes on to say that—, that um, it is no longer I who live, but I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And he goes, he goes, he goes home like headfirst into this faith thing, right? And when we move into chapter 3, chapter 3 just blew me away this time around. I don't, I don't know why, just uh, I, I guess it just kind of, just hearing you teach it, and noticing the the difference in law and grace and where where the law has a part or doesn't have a part in this new covenant teaching. And we see he what really blew off the page for me is the fact that he says that the law was never a part of the covenant. That the law came 430 years after and that if even in a even in a, a covenant between two men, that if there's an amendment, the co the covenant is void. So therefore, putting the law back into the covenant, which was never there, or putting it in there in the first place, you're you're nullifying the covenant that God made with 
with Abraham. That that's huge. Yeah. You know, I always hear Farley say, uh, Andrew Farley, he always says that, you know, if you're Gentile and you're worried about the law, quit it, because mm-hmm. you were never given the law. And there it is right there in Galatians 3. We can't add it back in, because if we add it back in, then it, it nullifies the covenant, the original covenant. That's right. You're trying to push your way into a covenant that you had no part of it to begin with, <laughs> with the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a covenant that God made with Abraham. And if you really understand the issues, God made with himself because he didn't allow Abraham to walk through those divided animals. Right. He said, this is all on me. I have made a promise and I'm going to fulfill the promise independent of you. Yeah. And your only responsibility at that point is to say thank you, you know, to receive what God has done. Yeah. And that is just so amazing uh, yeah. to begin to ponder. Yeah. So what good. a mighty God. And we <laughs> yeah. And to this point in my life, I've never read it like that. Mm-hmm. And I think this time around, it just hit me really hard when I read through chapter three. I was like, man, there it is. You know, this thing that I'm struggling with, I can let it go, you know, mm. um, to say that that law and grace have a balance mm. is you're, you're actually nullifying the covenant that God made with his people. That's right. Yeah. You know, if you look at other passages in the New Testament, Jesse, like in Romans five seventeen, he says, we receive the abundance of grace. And then in John 1, out of his fullness, verse 16, we have received grace upon grace. grace. And so, you know, people sometimes come to us and they accuse us of being hyper-gracist. I say, well, you're hearing us correctly (laughs) because grace has no balance. Paul was too. Exactly. It's turbo grace. It's, uh, you know, I ask people a lot of times, you know, go on to verse uh, 17 in John 1. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus. So you, you have to ask people, who do you want to be a disciple of? Do you want to be a disciple of Moses? Or do you want to be a disciple of Jesus? Because you can't be a disciple you can't of be both. both. That's right. Yeah. That's wild. It's huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, then Paul goes into chapter four, which is another great chapter. Mm. Adoption. Yeah. How we've been adopted. I mean, one of the things I always think about when I think about adoption is a man walking into a, an orphanage and saying, I want that one, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what they look like, no matter what they've done, I want that one. And then he makes, it's really not even a man, a king, a king at that, mm-hmm. makes that child his own and then gives him everything that he owns. That's right. Gives him the rights to everything that he owns. Yeah. That going through that passage in the first part of chapter four, crushed my heart um, because of that word as it was used in Roman law, adoption. You know, it, it has the idea of, you know, bringing it outside into the, your family. But it was so much deeper and richer than that because it, went, it was really saying in Roman law, this is an adult son with all the rights and privileges of adulthood. 
and the inheritance belongs to him. Yeah. And uh, it's just mind boggling because, you know, on the one side, you get this incredible father who just lavishes and lavishes upon you. But on the flip side of it, the thing that crushed me was he's saying to us, I trust you and I believe mm -hmm. in you. I grant you everything. It's all yours. And I couldn't help but think of the prodigal, you know, uh, he, the, he, that father gave him everything and he threw it away. And when he comes home, he says, well, here's the family credit card, the <laughs> signet ring, the rest of it's available to you too. And that kind of, uh, I've never found anybody on planet earth who would believe in me and trust me like that. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's big. It, 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 I just, I pictured the, the prodigal, just his jaw hitting the floor. Mm -hmm. Like, wait, what? You're, you're giving me the key to the bank account mm -hmm. after I've just squandered everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it really is. It's a picture of trust. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Uh, I had another question here. Uh, verse nine, it says, but now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? He makes a distinction of to know God and to be known by God. Well, why does he draw that distinction? And, and what is it? I think it goes back to what we just talked about. That whole idea of um, not only finding that kind of father, but finding that kind of father who believes in us. And that idea of, you know, who he is but who we are in him. Mm -hmm. And if you've really seen that, that, you know, here's the family fortune. How can you go back to others than yeah, him? Yeah, right, right. And, and so I think there's a hint of identity in that passage. Sure, yeah. I, know, I was wondering if it was a distinction between maybe believer and non-believer, you mm -hmm. know, to know God. Uh, like Romans 3 says mm -hmm. that, that all are without excuse because we see him in mm -hmm. everything, right? Mm -hmm. um, but to be known by him, mm -hmm. that is like a father. Yeah. It's become personal. Exactly. Intimacy is the word intimacy. I would use. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's a good word, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good stuff. So yeah, then he goes on to uh, draw the distinction between the two covenants, and he uses Isaac and Ishmael. Mm. Yeah. And this is another really good part. I don't think that we, I think we take for granted that story, you know. We look at it as God uh, blessing his children. But man, it's a, it, there's so much more to it. It's a beautiful picture. It was huge. Yeah, the idea of uh, these people are two covenants. Yeah. And one is life and one is death and one is grace and one is works and, and uh, one is spirit and one is flesh. Mm -hmm. And uh, how we've got to be purists you know mm -hmm. we've got to be new covenant purists we've got to be grace purists in order to protect it and i think it was fascinating when we got to the end of that chapter and he said just as sarah petitioned abraham to move hagar and ishmael out 
Paul said, cast out the bondwoman and her son. Mm-hmm. And that is an incredible statement. I think on the one hand, he's saying, you've got to protect this message. You know, don't let law come in. But when you have the law people persecuting the free, the church has the responsibility to protect the church and remove them. That's huge. Yeah. I mean, that's that's strong. Yeah. yeah that's a tough position to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It also makes me think, when he's drawing this distinction between Isaac and Ishmael, it, it, it makes me think about it, that he's pointing to how good, how, that the grace that is available to us, what it looks like, and how deep it goes. It's grace upon grace, like you said, John 1.16. Mm. But when we think about that whole story, and when you read it, I think it's in Romans, when you read the story in Romans, it says that Abraham's faith never wavered. Mm-hmm. That's strange to me to think his faith never wavered. Because it did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he he tried to make his own way. Yes, he did. Which which represents the law. You know, he had a child outside of his marriage, Ishmael, which represented the law. Abraham striving to to make his own way through the law. And having Isaac with his wife is the grace of God. It's the promise. But it point I think it points to how the work is really God's work. Because if, we, if, we, if we're going to say that, um, that Ish, Ishmael is the law, and then he, goes, he actually says in Galatians, he says, you, my brothers, are like Isaac. And he's pointing to the saints, and he's saying, hey, you're Isaac. That's right. You were the ones who were saved by grace through faith. And man, that, that, whole, that whole picture from from four on to six is just incredible that, that, it, that it's pointing to us the promise that he gave Abraham. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. And I think <laughs> the, the flip side of it is anybody who tries to perform the law to fulfill the promise of God through their own effort is Ishmael. Right. And that was the huge point that Paul was making. And it's no wonder the Jews persecuted him so badly because he was in essence saying to the Jewish people, if you're going to stay with the law, you're just like Ishmael. Mm-hmm. And do you realize what he's saying, Jesse? You Jews are functioning like Arabs. Mm. Oh my goodness. That's definitely that not a way offensive. to win friends and influence people. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, that would have been very offensive. You know, and when he says, um, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the, by, by the flesh? I feel like when he says that, they would have said, well, well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You would hope they would have seen that. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. We see that the law is inferior because it has, it had a mediator, right? And you talked a little bit about that in your sermon on this, Mm -hmm. that, it having a mediator makes it, I mean, I can't remember exactly what you had said. Like you, you, do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> I have trouble. I was hoping you're going to run with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is a glorious thought because the idea of a mediator continues to run today in so many different religions that bear the name of Christ. Yeah. 
that the people have to go through a mediator to get to God. And that's the whole glory of the new covenant is that we go directly to the face of Jesus. Yeah. You know, through Jesus, we go directly to the Father. And uh, that is just a, a wonderful, wonderful thought. Um, the body of Christ here, Christ's life, does not need me to be a mediator to God for them. Right. That, that's huge. Yeah, uh, that he's our father. That's right. And we can cry out to him. Exactly. Directly. Run into his presence. Yeah. And I love, Jesse, that great verse from Jude, that we can stand in his presence, blameless with great joy. Mm -hmm. You know, you read the rest of the Bible in the Old Testament. Whenever God showed up, people fell on their face. Uh, but through the finished work of Christ, we can stand in his presence, blameless. Yeah. I don't think we stand arrogantly. I think we stand very humbly right. and thankfully, but also very confidently, you know, against any accusation from the enemy or from a religious person hurling their dart at us. Uh, we know who makes us stand. Yeah. And that's him. Right. It's awesome. Chapter five starts with, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's a bold way to start that. It's, I guess we said earlier, Jesse, it's, this is always the issue. You know, when I travel and speak somewhere and I teach uh, the new covenant, you know, people have no problem embracing their death in Adam. Uh, people pretty easily embrace uh, that Jesus has made them righteous. You can throw that right from Scripture. But when it comes to the economy of grace, that's where I tend to lose people. Uh, people tend to come up and say, don't you think we still need the law? And uh, it's very hard for people to uh, lose that. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, if you go back to, the, to Genesis, you know, Adam plunged the whole world under the economy of law. Mm -hmm. Everybody performs. Everybody tries to do right, not do wrong. And and like in Romans 2, even the Gentiles who don't have the law show that the law is written on their hearts right. uh, by their conscience, either condemning or approving of them yeah. by the doing right and do, not doing wrong. And as Romans 3 says, the mouth of the whole world is shut under the law. Yeah. You know, bottom line, we're all born legalists. And, uh, you know, I think that this great charge in Galatians 5.1, don't go back to it. You got set free from it. Yeah. Um, yeah, live he, free. In 5, he also says that it's a curse. The yes, law sir. is a curse. Exactly. And Jesus became a curse to set us free from the curse. That's right. I mean, how could we want something that's a curse? <laughs> we were talking, uh, you and I, earlier, and, and it's a powerful thing. You know, you got these many, many pastors who are preaching the Ten Commandments to their people. Well, they ought to say at the same time, I'm putting you under a curse when I do this. <laughs> uh, but, of course, you're never going to hear that in church. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, we could go, you know, Christ became sin mm -hmm. so that we would know no sin. That's you know, right. it's like, it's it's kind of mind-boggling how we've taken this and tried to make law and grace work together. We're still doing it, you know, mm -hmm. even after having this book to read, you know, although Paul's not the easiest person to understand no. sometimes. <laughs> Peter but. said that. That's why we need revelation. That's right. And good teachers. <laughs> so, uh, your messages are were, were great. They really were great. I think that one thing that is difficult 
for me and I know for a lot of other people is um, application. And I think as we move from like chapter five into chapter six, we see that, you know, we're son- we, from five, we're seeing that we're adopted, we're sons, we're heirs to the covenant. Um, Christ has set us free. You know, we're free from the law. But then he goes and he says, keep in step with the Spirit. And now that we've, uh, he tells us that we're a new creation. And as a new creation, we're keeping in step with the Spirit. What, what is that? How can we apply this as we move into six? How are we applying this to our lives as believers? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a great question, Jesse. You know, I th- the real issue with the new covenant is that it's a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And that's the key. You know, everybody tends to think if you take people out from under the law, they're going to run naked through the streets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's one verse of warning in the entire book. Don't use your liberty to serve your flesh. Yeah. So that's where grace people are going to err. They'll err in using their liberty to justify fleshly behavior. But the majority of people are going to err under the law. And so there's, it's almost like two perversions of this glorious new covenant. Either add the law or you walk in license. Yeah. But the Spirit will never do that. His is a balanced life, and it's a life of love. And that's what chapter 6 is all about. It's, it's faith working through love. It's this ability to do through the Spirit what no man could ever do apart from the Spirit. And, you know, Jesse, I think that's what the law is ultimately about. Um, I like to tell people the law is love stated negatively. If I love you, I won't kill you. If I love you, I won't steal from you. If I love God, I won't put other gods before him. We say, why did he state it negative? Because we were separated from God Mm -hmm. and God is love. So we didn't know what love was, so he couldn't tell us to love. But now we've got the spirit and now we have the ability to do what we could never do before, which is love. Love God, love people, and really love ourselves. (laughs) And that's the new commandment. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, it's it's funny. Um, I think we quoted uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones because he made a tremendous statement um, years ago. He said, if you are not being accused of teaching license, (laughs) you are most likely perverting the gospel. Wow. That's how free our presentation of the gospel should be. People should be wondering if we're teaching license. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then we can direct them to the Spirit. And, but I wonder how many people are being accused of teaching license in our churches in America. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of, it seems like there's a lot of... Um, I guess we would call it easy believism. So a lot of easy surface level teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, we might not be diving in like we should be. We might not be laboring over it mm-hmm. like we should be. Grace is stunning. Yeah. It uh Grace in your face. Yeah. <laughs> Grace in your face. Yeah, it literally um I think, you know, as Romans three says the mouth of the whole world should be shut. Under the law, I think by the same token, the grace of God stuns us. First into silence, 
at the awe and wonder of finding a father who's so incredible and a father who would accept the likes of me. And so I think you're stunned into silence. But then if you really understand grace, you'll praise. I think the only people who can really praise God are people who know his grace. Hmm. Yeah, they know how good it is. Oh, they have can't to help. shout. They have to shout. You, yeah, you they can't help sing. but worship. Or maybe even they have to weep, you know, yeah. because it's uh, so overwhelmingly good. Yeah. Yeah. Now in six, there's the, and we could probably, we could probably do an entire podcast on this, but when we get to verse six in chapter six, it says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with those who, the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. I know we've all been taught that, and, it, and it's been taken out of context, but we've all been taught that this is, is giving tithes mm-hmm. to the church. You know, the more you sow in, the more you'll reap out. Mm-hmm. But as you've, as you've kind of opened up my eyes to this, this week, it, it's amazing because if we keep reading, we see that Paul never leaves this concept of law and grace. And tithing has nothing to do with law and grace. And he's really saying that life is found only in the Spirit and not in the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that verse, Jesse, in my study caused me a lot of trouble. <laughs> I labored. You might have made some people angry. <laughs> I labored for days because it was so foreign to bring money into the conversation. You know, here he is, law, grace, life, death, flesh, spirit. Oh, by the way, hint, hint, make sure you pay your teacher. Yeah, uh, right. It's just, I, my spirit wouldn't let me go there, but I couldn't find anybody who agreed with me. And then I read this German commentator, and he said exactly what I was thinking, that <clears throat> Paul was saying to those people, Please receive from this teacher what he's trying to give you. Right. I'm trying to give you good. Don't be deceived by those Galatian Judaizers. Mm-hmm. You know, if you sow to the flesh, baby, yep. you're right going to get that, the flesh. For the one who sows to, the, <laughs> to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. That's right. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Doesn't doesn't sound yeah. like tithing anymore. No, there's no, what he's saying is there's only one source of life, yeah. and that's God. Uh yeah, I like to quote this, Jesse, everywhere I go. Uh, it's John 5, 26. God has life in himself. When I was in cemetery, seminary, um, you know, I, ta- I was taught the attributes, and it was omnipotence and omnipresence and omniscience. But I wasn't taught that issue of life. That's an attribute of God. He has life in himself. Yeah. But he shares that life with us. And that's what's so cool. Yeah. We get to share in the life of God from the Holy Spirit. It's just mind-boggling thought. That's it's awesome. So at the uh, at the end, like we said, we he he turns right back to the law and he says uh, right at the end of 6 there, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For I neither 
For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And I love that passage. He couldn't have made it any more clear, could he? Nope. It's not your good works. It's not whether you do it or don't do it. It's becoming brand new for the finished work of Christ. Right. That's the issue. And that is only by grace. You can't deserve or work to be created. <laughs> right. That has to be an act of God. It's a gift. Yeah. A gift, gift of grace. Great. Well, you got anything else for us? No, I, I was... Uh, anything that you left out that you really wanted to add? <laughs> you wanted to go 10 weeks? I left a lot out. Uh, this is the second time I've taught the book, and uh, it definitely had a greater impact on me this time. Um, I've come to believe that it may be the most important book in the Bible. It's at least as equal to the book of Romans, maybe more so. You think it's more, it's, it's, it's just more relevant for the church? Romans declares our freedom. Galatians fights for it. Hmm. Galatians communicates to us that if we don't protect the freedom, we lose it. You've got to realize if Paul lost this battle, we'd all be legalistic believers. We'd yeah. all be naming the name of Jesus and trying to follow the law. Yeah, the church would look a lot different. The church would look like any other religious movement in the world. Yeah. You know, we've, we've tried to hammer throughout this study a coin phrase, you know, something they can, people can hang a hook on. There's only two religions in the world. Human achievement with its focus on man and the works of man or divine accomplishment with its focus on Jesus and his finished work. Oh. And it's one or the other. That's good. It's finished. Well, thank you, my friend. We had a great time. <laughs> and as you said, it was finished. There you go. Well, thanks, Frank. All right. Bless you. You too. Hey, before we go, we want to share with you all a great opportunity that's happening here this month at Grace Life Fellowship. If you're in the area, we want to welcome all of you to come. And I got my good friend here, Scott Sule. He's going to tell us about it. How you doing, Scott? Yeah, I'm good. How are you, Jesse? Good. Tell us a little bit about Q Commons. Yeah, so Q Commons is a two-hour simulcast-style event. It'll be here at Grace Life um, on October 24th at 7 p.m., uh, there'll be three global speakers um, and three local speakers. The global speakers will be uh, Malcolm Gladwell. He's an author journalist. Uh, Francis Chan, he's a, a pastor and, and author as well. And Rebecca Lyons is the, the third uh, global speaker. She's an author. And then the local speakers will be Dustin LaFont of Front Yard Bikes, uh, Curtis Washington, who is an elder but also true behavior strategist and coach with the EBR school system, and Leslie Lacey, an attorney uh, for the state that represents foster care kids in their legal proceedings. So the point of the event is um, to kind of show the church what else is going on around um, around the city and to connect Grace Life with other churches uh, and the church at large so that um, we can uh, create a better future. That's the theme of the yeah. event. So it's going to be a great night. Yeah, so for more information, they can go to the website? Yes. So And the website is... Q, like the letter, just the letter, qcommons.com. 
slash Baton Rouge. Awesome. Tickets will be $10 at the door. Okay. And um, you can register on the website or you can get them um, at the door, like I said. So either way, um, but of course we prefer advanced so we can set up the room uh, appropriately for the number of people that will be there. So yeah, it's going to be a great night. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. Yeah. Don't be late. Well, that does it for today's conversation. We'll be back again next Tuesday as Pastor Tim starts his two-part series called Practical Grace. And don't forget Fall Fest this Sunday at Grace Life Fellowship. Check out our Facebook page, search for Grace Life Fellowship for more details. And we'll be back again next Friday with another edition of Conversations in Grace. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.